This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Bunny Michael. When you approach your life from the consciousness of your higher self, the knowing how worthy you are, Every aspect of your life begins to change. Your relationships, your career, your self-care, your body image, everything. Because this is the process of unlearning the conditioning of our culture that raised us to believe we have to prove ourselves to belong. True success starts with knowing how much you deserve. Following your higher self is an awakening process and it's no easy feat. But as you will hear from the callers on this podcast... Our paths might look different, but our journey is the same. Welcome to Exo Higher Self. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 87. I'm so excited for this episode because it is the third installment of our guest series. And today's guest is somebody that I have admired and been inspired by for many, many years. And that is Diego Perez, who goes by the pen name Young Pueblo. Young Pueblo is an extremely popular teacher, guide, has over 2 million followers on Instagram, New York Times bestseller author. What I really find inspiring about Diego is that when he shares his message, he shares it in the most beautiful, simple way. On Instagram, it's basically just a white space with his writing on it. It's always been like that. And it's such a breath of fresh air. Every time I see his post, I'm just like, oh yes, I'm reminded, okay, I can go back into my heart, into that peace inside where I know my higher self is there. So I hope that you get as much out of this talk as I did. And I'm just so excited for you to hear it. Let's take it away. Hello and welcome, EXO Higher Self fam. I am so excited and so honored to introduce our guest for this episode, Young Pueblo, aka Diego Perez. Diego Perez is the writer behind the pen name Young Pueblo. The name Young Pueblo means young people. It serves to remind him of his Ecuadorian roots his experiences in activism, and that the collective of humanity is in the midst of important growth. His favorite word, liberation, took on a deeper meaning once he started meditating Vipassana. Through writing and speaking, he aims to support the healing of the individual, realizing that when we release our personal burdens, we contribute to a global peace. Diego has written three books, Inward, Clarity and Connection, which is a New York Times bestseller. And I believe you have another book, a new book available for pre-order called Lighter. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much for having me on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, I'm so excited. Well, I am sure that most of the EXO Higher Self audience knows who you are. You've been such a huge leader in helping so many people all over the world. You have over 2 million followers on Instagram. And I think that really is a testament to how talented you are at articulating very deep and meaningful concepts and messages 
through a very limited <laughs> amount of space. <laughs> and as somebody who has, you know, written memes and everything like that for a long time, I know that that isn't easy to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought we could start with kind of you giving us a little bit of background on how you actually got started sharing that stuff, like how you got started uh, on realizing that that was something that you wanted to do. Yeah, I think, um, so I started my healing um, in the summer of 2011, and it took a while, it took literally a whole year before I started um, practicing meditation, started practicing Vipassana. And after I practiced, I did a few 10-day, silent 10-day Vipassana courses, I realized that I felt a lot better, like internally, like the anxiety that I had been dealing with the fear, the sort of survival mode that I was existing on that was um, exacerbated by my experiences of very serious poverty growing up as an immigrant in the United States. Um, That sort of steamrolled into like really bad habits where I was so disconnected from myself, um, was, you know, a terrible partner, a terrible friend um, when I was in my late teens and very early 20s. And that sort of kept snowballing into like a pretty bad drug habit where I was just constantly partying and really just like pushing my life to the edge. Um, And then when I hit that edge and almost lost my life, um, I realized I was like, wait, this is totally contrary to how I actually want to exist. So when I started being honest with myself, I realized that I needed to just sit with the turbulence that was happening inside of me. Um, so I did that for about a year, just like being honest with like, okay, I don't feel good. Let me see what this feels like, even though it hurts to be with myself right now, um, without having some substance, like mediate that relationship between me and myself. Um, but then I found meditating and meditating was, um, sort of just a much more healing efficient process for me personally. Like I know for a lot of people, you know, they need different Mm -hmm. things. They need, you know, anything therapy, different types of meditation, it just depends on your conditioning and what meets you where you're at. Um, but when I saw that real results were happening, I was pretty surprised because this is still, you know, this is like 2012, 2013, where like this like giant self-love movement that started happening um, online, right? The idea of self-love had been around for a while, but it just started exploding online around 2015, 2016. Um, that hadn't happened yet. And like healing or, or wellness, like wasn't really like a thing yet. So I was surprised that healing was actually happening. And I felt like, okay, I'm not totally healed. I'm not a perfect person. I'm not wise. Like I have a long way to go, but let me reflect on what I'm learning about. And let me see if potentially there's a way for me to inspire other people to also heal themselves. Because I know just like I was hurting, so many other people were hurting as well. and in that moment, it felt right to just take to Instagram because that's just where everybody was hanging Mm -hmm. out. And um, I knew that that like immediate sort of like, you know, putting out words and seeing how people interacted with them would help me just more quickly improve myself as a writer. Mm -hmm. Do you, would you say that you starting to share like every day or however often you started with was sort of became a kind of spiritual practice, part of your spiritual practice in a way to do that writing? Um, yeah, more so. Yeah, I guess in a, in a way it felt like I was trying to understand why I felt better. Like ah, I just didn't, uh-huh. you know, like I, like, I, like I was 
like I was meditating and I would, you know, do the technique, but then I knew that I was like seeing the world in a different way. And I was trying to like conceptualize these ideas that were like kind of naturally coming up with just like the decreasing of that heavy conditioning Mm -hmm. and that trauma. Um, cause the mind gets so much lighter, but, um, but I don't know, I was like, it just felt like I was entering a whole new world that I wanted to explore it and see like, what did I believe in, in this world? And, um, it took a while for me to find my voice as a writer and to really understand like, you know, how do I want to exist in this sort of healing paradigm mm-hmm. that I'm walking into? Cause there's a lot of different ways to conceptualize healing. Yeah, absolutely. I know for me, when I got started, I, in a lot of ways, didn't feel necessarily like I could see myself in the communities that are, were already out there mm-hmm. or the ones that I had been introduced to, you know, I had been introduced to a lot of amazing teachers and, and healers, but I got a little bit discouraged by feeling like they weren't talking about issues that had affected me or things that I was still Mm -hmm. healing from. And I know you as an immigrant probably went through similar experiences. Oh yeah. Right. And how important it is to represent that part of just your history and how it applies to how we understand ourselves now. And right now we're obviously living in a very difficult time and in a huge transition. And a lot of what we talk about in this podcast is how do we connect to the part of us that is both aware that we are here and that we're part of this reality and also knowing that we are more than that, um, that we are more than these forms and these bodies and and how we apply that awareness to be a force of, of love or compassion in the world and how difficult that is. <laughs> um, how do you, how, how would you say that you like to think about when, let's say something happens in the news and it really is, you know, something tragic or difficult, like what, what's your process in, in how, you, how you process that stuff in yeah, especially when it comes to the news, um, I slow down. Mm. When something big happens, I've noticed the tendency to want to help, which is a beautiful tendency. But oftentimes, I found myself and the people around me sort of just repeating what they've heard mm. and not necessarily saying what they know, mm. which is two very different things where, like, you know, some big thing will happen and then everyone is just copy and pasting each other's memes, but then nobody really even read the full story or what actually happened. And we end up snowballing into this direction and then finding out a week later that actually the story is much more complex. There's a lot more pieces to it. So my thing is like, I don't want to live a reactive life. I want to live a very intentional life. So it's obviously really important to speak up, um, but you don't want to just like be told what to think, especially with the way the internet works these days. Um, the, the sort of the things that kind of bubble up to the top are much more extreme things or much more extreme views because that gets a lot of clicks and, um, and that not, it doesn't necessarily capture what's actually happening. Um, so Mm -hmm. the world oftentimes seems a lot scarier than it really is. And there's a lot of horrible things happening. There's also a lot of beautiful things happening that are quietly existing in the background. But my thing is like, let me just pump the brakes. Mm -hmm. Cause like, okay, let me, I feel 
this sort of sorrow and compassioning, compassion happening for um, all this like sadness is happening in the world, but I don't know the full story. And let me try to understand as much of it before I opine. And also realizing that like, you know, I'm a writer and I have certain strengths, but maybe political science isn't necessarily my mm-hmm. strengths. And then though like politics is something that involves every life, everybody, yeah. you don't live without, you know, interacting with different webs of like political life. Yeah. Um, especially like, you know, if you have some, you know, if you're like an immigrant or a person of color or like, you know, there's so many different identities that we carry, um, it's going to affect you. So it's important to like maintain your voice, but I feel like slowing down is just key. I wanted to backtrack real quick and something that what we're talking about that I wanted to mention was like, I get so much inspiration from like you and Saadi Simone and like other people that I see like Alex L and Nadra, um, who are just like these powerful people of color or queer people who are like coming out and voicing different forms of wisdom that were normally coming out of the mouths of either um, white people or Indian people. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of us, you know, like when I first started writing, I remember feeling quite strange about, I was like, dude, I'm just like this short Ecuadorian man from, you know, like I came to the United States when I was four years old. I've never heard anyone from my country or from South America really talk a lot about meditation or spiritual traditions Mm -hmm. outside of like indigenous traditions or like Toltec traditions like Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, But I've never really heard people talk about like, you know, like Theravada Buddhism and stuff like that. Uh, You know, I haven't heard that from people who look like me. So then that felt like really important. It was like, okay, well, even though these topics have been out there, I'm also allowed to have a perspective on these topics. Um, So I'm really grateful to like, you know, all my comrades who are in this space too, and super grateful to you for just being bold and being like, you know, let me take up my space in this, in this world. Thank you so much for saying that. That means so much to me. And yes, absolutely. I mean, we're all coming from a different place, a different experience. And, and I think that that also serves as connected to what we were talking about just before about reacting to what's going on. And I think sometimes we don't give us ourselves any space to process. We're just reacting to the reaction, right? Then they're reacting to that reaction. (laughs) It's just layers and layers and layers. And for a long time, me personally, when it came to that stuff, I, I went, I like went back and forth of what, what are the things that I do talk about in specific terms? And what are the things that I don't talk about in specific terms? And I, and I, and I realized over time that for me, my role was really about getting to the core of the issue, which, and from my mm-hmm. perspective, it always comes down to us not being taught our worth. You know, that for me has always seems, it's always seems to be like centered in the seed of us not knowing that we are already whole um, and being conditioned to believe that we're lacking. And so I like to focus on, on that because I think it reverberates with so many different people, obviously, and it's a universal thing and in so many different circumstances. Um, but I totally understand that it's, it can be really, really, um, difficult because you want to help. You want to be that voice of help. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way in which you share it, it has such an energy and and it's so funny because it's, it's literally an Instagram post 
but even the aesthetic of it. And I'm an aesthetic, like I'm obsessed with aesthetic. Like this is like my yeah, life. Yeah. I'm like a double Libra. Yeah. I'm like everything. aesthetic. <laughs> everything has aesthetic meaning. And what's so great about you and also just your presence. And I think that's reflective of your, your tradition and meditating and stuff is this stillness, right? Is this like sense of not needing to name something, um, not needing to, to speak in these like dogmatic ways. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very open, open open-hearted. And I was listening to an interview that you were doing. I can't remember exactly where it was from, but you said, you said, love is a form of stillness. And that really just, that really just hit me like right in my heart space, because it's so easy to forget that it's right here in the present. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 so easy to forget that because as people were driven to find solutions, we're driven to fix um, things right away or, or um, to mend or even to heal and <laughs> like in the goal of healing and all of that stuff, right? Um, and then we forget that, that it's literally like, right. It's a shift in our consciousness. And I talk a lot about on this podcast that aligning with your higher self is shifting into the consciousness of love, that love is a state of awareness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and how you approach love and, and your, your beautiful quote, like that love is a form of stillness. Yeah, definitely. It reminds me of, so I just, um, it's a little ways away now, but from January to February, I did my first 45-day meditation course. Um, wow. And it was a silent Vipassana course where we're silent for 43 days. And in the last wow. two days, we start talking again to, you know, get acclimated. I just and, wait, hold on a second. Yeah. I just have to like <laughs> process that 45, 43 days of silence. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was the first, you know, um, 40, I've done a few 30 day courses before. Um, but, uh, it was my first one that was, you know, 15 days longer. And it, um, there was a moment where it became really clear that I, when my mind was reacting, there was tension. There was this like 10, like the mind would just try to grip and then gripping in the sense where it was like, creating a narrative or trying to, you know, make something that's there be something that it's not or something different than what's actually there. Mm-hmm. And when I would just be observing myself, it was this constant battle against trying to accept what was actually happening in that moment. And then when I would finally just relax myself and just allow myself to just observe what's actually mm-hmm. happening in this moment in my body, there was a release of tension. And there was this much more like calming awareness that would, you know, sort of encapsulate my body. And in that there was just so much peace, love, clarity, and a lot of just deep release, you know, like in that actual moment where you're just observing all this like unbinding happens like on because like, I think a lot of people don't quite realize that the things that we reacted to in the past, like the deep sort of very intense emotions that we felt in the past, they just become imprints in the subconscious of the mind. And then you very easily start repeating them again and again, and you fall into those cycles, but those imprints, they're not permanent, you know, and the subconscious of the mind 
Like I think um, in the Western world, they talk a lot about the subconscious of the mind being fully formed after you're like a child at a certain age. But if you take the Buddhist teaching, um, you actually see that the mind is being molded constantly, constantly throughout your entire life. Every single reaction is creating an imprint and that's affecting your future moments. Um, so I like to tend to, you know, see things that way, because from my experience, the mind is just incredibly malleable. You can make it super dense. You can make it super light. It just depends on your intention. Mm. Um, but you know, in those moments of the, of deep meditation, I could just feel how, like when I was trying to write some sort of narrative or like, you know, get, you know, just like make some story up about how this is bad, this sucks. And just like, not allowing myself to just flow with reality and just like feel what's actually there and just like take a seat back and just observe. Um, there was a drastic difference difference there. And now I take those moments, right. That moment of like, and cultivating that habit of just observing. And I bring that to like my everyday relationship with my wife. And whenever mm. there are points of tension there, I'm like, Oh, Diego, you're like getting too hot. Like you can feel in your mind, how you're starting to grip or you're starting to look for points of conflict that's my sign to just like sit back mm -hmm. and just like observe like you know ask myself how am i doing ask her how she's doing mm -hmm. and find some way to just like create space so that we can share what's actually happening in the way that we're feeling so mm -hmm. that we can both understand each other's perspective without negating each other's perspectives mm -hmm. which is even though what we feel and what we see is different that doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong. Mm -hmm. They can both be real at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but that love is like, I really lately have been equating it to acceptance, mm -hmm. like just accept, just accept what's there. And you'll find that transformation is a lot more possible when you can just accept this is what's happening in this moment. Now, mm -hmm. how can I move mm -hmm. forward? And it's, it's wild to think that that really is the only true reality because everything else is a projection of the future or the past or a yeah. concept, yeah. Uh, uh, an, an idea. Um, and only when you're really sitting in that state of presence, are you actually experiencing reality with like a capital R? Yeah. Yeah. And it's quite astounding too. Cause like, you know, you and I, like we're talking right now and there's these two people and there's like the conventional reality of like identity and like all these different sort of like social forces that are interacting between us, mm -hmm. like all these histories mm -hmm. that have unfolded for the two of us to be here sharing this moment right now. But at the same time, there's the ultimate reality of like, I'm just a bundle of atoms, you know, swirling around. And then you're a bundle of atoms too. And like, can I so like completely say that I exist, like, no, mm. right. Like it's such a transformative yes. ephemeral situation that's happening right yes. now. It's like mind and matter just interacting with each other really rapidly that, um, it's doubtful. Like, yeah, am I real? I don't know, yeah. but I'm also here. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I love, I mean, to, for me, sometimes I forget, it feels so good to be like, Oh, I'm not my body. Like it just feels so good to yeah. disidentify from that heaviness and, and, and to it also, and, and, and this is taking another direction that I, we can, we can talk about, or we not talk about what, but when I think about death, you know, like, I think we spend mm -hmm. a lot of time afraid of death. And, and, and I think that that's a result of a lot to do with our culture, not having a healthy relationship to death. And then obviously like, um, yeah evolutionary instincts and all of that kind of thing. But when I 
am confronted with that. And when I try to go deeper with that and I feel myself, my spirit, the part of me that is beyond this form. And I, I can sense, I can sense who I am and will always be beyond this form, beyond this human life. And it's this incredible feeling of safety and love, you know, and I think we have those glimpses, those experiences. I'm sure you had the, that, you know, those experiences, like say, for example, in the meditation and, and where you're kind of just taken to this place where you see like a universal truth um, and who you truly are. And, um, that is, that is, you know, how I like to articulate, I call higher self, but there's so many different, mm-hmm. obviously language cannot describe mm-hmm. something that's ultimately undescribable or unnameable. Um, but, uh, I, I don't even know what I'm saying, but yes, I totally, I totally see what you mean. <laughs> I love, I, I, I love that. And, and when you are on this path, you know, you have seasons where you're mm-hmm. like really plugged in and then some seasons where you're, you, you're not. Um, yep. and then when you plug back in again and you're just like, Oh my gosh, you know, and to me, for me, that is the, that is the shift to love, Yeah, you know, when it shifts and you see, Oh, wow. Like this is amazing for lack of a better word. You know, we are all connected in this and, and, and it's sort of like that, that view, that bird's eye view where you see all of the silliness <laughs> and you can like see all of the ways in which we do things backwards and we cause all of this suffering for ourselves and each other. And it's all so pointless. Yeah. And, and you see very clearly to the truth that we're all just so beautiful and amazing. And, and you just like, I just want to like go up to everybody and like hug them and kiss them and tell them, wow, you're just, you're so beautiful. <laughs> and it's like that bliss state. Yeah. Yeah. That bliss state. And we all have different ways of getting there, uh, different practices of getting there. But um, when it comes to Vipassana, because that's what you mm-hmm. are, uh, more of an expert in, and I'm, I'm not, and I do actually really want to do a 10 day meditation retreat. I'm, I'm nervous to do it. I'm, I'm scared. I have to be honest. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm scared to do it. That's fine. It's, it's hard. It's yeah. not, it's not easy. Um, yeah. but, um, like the first one that I did was incredibly, I found it incredibly difficult yeah. and, um, it doesn't really get too much easier after that because you're just going deeper and deeper into right. your mind and there's very rocky, thick conditioning there that's sedimented at the very core of your mind that you kind of just have to keep unbinding and chipping away at. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a beautiful process. It's a really old teaching It originates from the Buddhist teaching. It's been around for thousands of years. Um, it's taught in very different ways. Um, so there's like a number of different strands of Vipassana. Mm -hmm. Um, the one that I do is in the Goenka tradition and that emerges from Burma. It was originally taught by this guy named Sayaju Bakin. Um, who was a phenomenal human being, some, someone I never met. He died in the 70s, but I've, um, I really look up to this individual. And it's a course where they divide it into 10 days. And the first three days, you um, 
practice uh, anapana, which is like awareness of the natural breath. And that um, helps calm and concentrate the mind. And then on day four, they teach you the Vipassana technique where you start observing the, um, the truth inside the framework of the body. Um, but it takes those three days of calming and concentrating your mind to give that mind that sense of stability and that awareness so that it can actually feel subtleties that the mind was totally oblivious to before because it was so busy reading and writing and having, you know, its attention totally externalized as opposed to internalized. Um, and you start, you know, I mean, different people feel different things, but what a lot of people end up feeling is that change is happening in the body. They mm -hmm. feel a lot of change and that truth of change um, just like opens you up to this wealth of wisdom and opens you up to a lot of the like healing and liberation that happens. Cause if, when you're really like observing change, then you're, you know, no longer reacting and the mind just starts unbinding itself. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to touch back on the point of death that you oh, were yes. mentioning it before yeah. too, because I think like these are more conversations that we need to have. And it's, I think a lot of people get scared of even speaking about death because obviously we have to be really tender with um, people who, you know, might've been suicidal or currently are, and we yeah. have to be really yeah. gentle with that. But then there's the other side of that, that um, death is a natural part of life, mm -hmm. right? There's life and then there's death. Everything that arises ultimately passes away. Um, so most recent, like uh, last week, my wife and I and a few friends got to meet um, Venerable Analio. He's a monk um, who's written a lot of fantastic books. And um, we got to give him um, his morning meal because a lot of a lot of monks in this tradition Theravada tradition they only eat once a day mm. um and we were talking to him and he's about to go meditate for a whole year and he was talking about how this whole meditation he's going to be meditating on death um and he was like basically he's like I need I want to learn how to die properly and he know he's not planning on dying anytime soon he doesn't know when he's going to die but this was, you know, the Buddha during his time, he taught 40 different meditations. And one of them was the awareness of death. Um, and people would get enlightened by, you know, being aware of that. Mm -hmm. And it's something that like, personally, I have felt um, how understanding impermanence, the truth of change makes me understand that, yes, one day I won't exist. Like, I don't know when my end will come, but that has allowed me to come much more in contact with the brilliance of life, mm -hmm. with how precious this moment is, with how tender and important all the moments that I have with my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister and my wife and my friends, like when I'm interacting with them and I find myself being absent-minded or spending too much time on my phone, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, this is a gift. Yeah. Like I'm getting a gift right now. Let me yeah. appreciate it by interacting with presence yeah. by being there by loving them by trying to bring more harmony into the situations that I'm a part of and um i think i've learned to value my time by sort of embracing the reality of eventually my time will be up so let mm -hmm. me be here um and i think that there's a strong relationship between loving well and understanding that um you know this is your time to love well because you don't know when it'll be over or you don't know, you know, when your parents may pass away or whatever it is, you know, at some point things do end. Yeah. And just, it's also reminds me in a weird way of how, like what, where we get our joy from, 
um, yeah. and which is so important. Uh, and I've been thinking a lot about joy lately because I've been busier than I've ever been in my life with the things that I wanted to be busy with. <laughs> and yet I'm, I've been having a hard time, um, with feelings of being overwhelmed and stress and the pressure and all of that kind of thing. And, and really trying to understand what is it that I actually need in, in this time of my life. And what keeps coming up is that I need to feel joy. And how do I get that? Well, I mean, I could go, you know, on a vacation maybe, which is nice. <laughs> or I could go buy myself some new shoes, which is not bad either. But what I really need <laughs> is, is really coming into the present and really just yeah. being here and seeing right here, right now, there's so much joy right in front of me. And, you know, I walk my dog every morning and the walk just passes me by. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh my gosh, it's freaking gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's so amazing. And I love that shift. You know, I love understanding that joy is a choice. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. And it's not just about, oh, you need to be grateful. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't really like thinking about it in those terms because I feel like, there's a lot of like, I'm someone who will like shame myself for not being grateful. But I like to think of it more as like choosing joy, choosing to see mm-hmm. what's actually there. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, that's all that I wanted to say about that. But yeah, so observing reality as it is, observing reality as it is. And when I think about going, what, what you're describing about the meditation retreats and I don't know, it's probably not similar because it's in a different format, but I feel like I've had glimpses of that similar experiences, you know, with plant medicine and ayahuasca ceremonies and all of that stuff. Um, and to me, that also kind of reminds me of that vision, that death vision where you, where you do see sort of like all the things that you have and, you know, how, how this form is precious and, and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of in that witness consciousness, uh, where you can experience that. And it, and it's really, really beautiful. Hey, bunny. Hey, Kara. You know, what's cool about this podcast? What? That we get to help people and bring them together. Yeah. It's really, really cool. But we need help too. Don't we? (laughs) Yeah, we do. I mean, everybody does, right? For access to bonus content and to help support this podcast, please become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com forward slash exo higher self. We couldn't do this work without you. Our Patreon and our subscribers are keeping this podcast sustainable. So don't forget to show your love. Everybody needs help and support. Thanks, y'all. Exo Higher Self fam, it's Bunny here. I am so thrilled to announce my debut book, Hello Higher Self, an outsider's guide to loving yourself in a tough world is now available for pre-order. This book is the essential manual for unlearning your limiting beliefs that have been ingrained in you by the toxicity of our culture and your trauma and your socialization. 
We all have to unlearn this stuff so we can channel the power of our higher self. And everyone who pre-orders this book will receive a special free gift from me to be announced shortly. So hurry to the pre-order link in the show notes and get yourself a copy. I cannot wait for you to read it. Um, one thing I wanted to also ask you is that you talk a lot about, about like our emotional past and we talk mm-hmm. a lot about that too. I got a lot of people who write in questions about the trauma that they're healing from and, you know, how to cope with all of that stuff and in the relationships and everything. And one of the things I've been thinking about lately are, is how our generation that goes to therapy, which if with therapy is amazing. And I go to therapy and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. What I feel like I notice is that sometimes it's easy to get really caught up in the story of your past. Yeah. Like when I first started going to therapy seriously, like when I was like down and out and I was like, okay, I got to get my stuff together and like go to therapy. I was like worse because all of a sudden I was looking at all of this stuff that I didn't want to look at. And then I became this like person who experienced abuse. Mm -hmm. And I was really attached to that for a while. Can you talk a little bit about that? (laughs) (laughs) I know. um, I love that. Like um, just hearing your truth and seeing you like go through these moves. And I think a lot of us have been there and there was a poem that I put in clarity and connection that I hesitated to put it in there because I was like, I might catch a lot of heat from this. Um, and it was, the, I, it's a longer one. So I don't know, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but um, it's something along the lines of like, you know, understand your story, but try not to identify with your trauma, like mm-hmm. understand it, heal it, let it go and allow yourself to more so visualize your being as a river, as opposed to something that's stagnant, as opposed to like a stone. Um, Because a lot of times, like when we identify so deeply with our trauma, it becomes a lot harder to heal because we're gripping onto the story. Like what you Mm -hmm. just described, it's like become such a big part of our identity. Like who would I be if I wasn't like X, Y, and Z, you know, but then you realize that like, okay, I'm still hanging on to something that was, that happened like 15, 20 years ago. And like, yes, this was actually huge. It had a big impact on my conditioning and the way I see myself and the way I interact with other people. But over this long span of time, I've also developed all these other characteristics and I have these new interests and I'm developing these new habits and I'm involving in this, you know, evolving in this way. And you just like, like you live, you know, you live and you keep growing and expanding and releasing different aspects of yourself that don't serve you anymore. So Mm -hmm. when I think of identity, I think it's critical, right? Like going back to that conventional versus ultimate, like you do want to understand who you are in this conventional reality, because yes, there's like a lot of different forces that are, have given you real world impact in your daily life. But at the same time, like if you want to develop happiness and freedom and you want to really access wisdom, then you need to let go of your sense of self so that you can just flow and be able to deeply interact with these truths that 
ego can't interact with, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, like yeah. you to be able to really let it go. Um, but that doesn't mean that like, you know, you stop like having a name or you stop yeah. having an identity. It actually just helps you loosen it all up so that you can just keep evolving without so much tension. And cause sometimes like, it's really hard to let go of an old version of yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people, like I've had difficulty with that too, but then it's like, dude, like, I don't want to keep dragging this stuff back into the present. Like I'm done with it, you know? And like, you, you can put so much work into um, healing different points of your life, but then that old um, sort of, you know, reaction of attachment, you just keep hanging on to it, keep trying to grab it back. But you realize that you're just grabbing like mists of air. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really mm-hmm. there anymore. And what I'm better off doing is pointing my attention towards these parts of my life that I'm actively trying to feed and that bring me a lot more joy. And not in the sense of like spiritual bypassing, but just in the sense of like, okay, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, what's that term? Like I'm, I'm beating a dead horse mm-hmm. at this point, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm just like going back to the same moment over and over again. And I found that a lot of healing is not about imagination. It's not you like reliving your trauma in your mind. It's actually just allowing yourself to feel the truth in your body in that moment and not running away from it. Yes. So being able to feel, cause a lot of that old stuff, it will come up in the present. And if you can be with yourself in the present, you're actually healing the past. Yes. That's such a great way of thinking about it. Like if, if, as in like, if something comes up from the past and you can be with it in the present, that's how it's healed because mm-hmm. you're taking it and transforming it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, which is really, really beautiful. Do you think that, do you think that that kind of psychological um, unearthing, I guess, if you will, is necessary for like a spiritual transformation? Like, do you think it's, I'm just thinking about like our parents' generation uh, <laughs> that like didn't talk about anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and a lot of it was just out of survival. Um, And it's interesting to think about, I mean, I don't have the answer, but to think about what is necessary in terms of uh, evolving spiritually or awakening your consciousness in that way, in terms of your past. I think it is pretty, um, pretty common for you to just understand more of yourself. And a lot of times that will happen, like, Cause I mean, there are just so many different techniques where whether it's different types of therapies or different types of meditations or other things. Um, but you end up just sort of pretty casually, like for me, like when I'm meditating, you know, I'll be meditating and focusing on the present moment, but then parts of my life will just come up with a lot of clarity. And it's like, Oh, like, you know, for the longest time, literally for the longest time, I didn't know how traumatized I was by poverty because I realized like I had a really good relationship with my parents, like, um, but our life together as a family was so hard, you know, like immigrating to the United States, my parents, my, my mom, she worked cleaning houses and my dad worked in a supermarket. So they just were stuck in a poverty trap that there was just no way out of it until my brother and I grew up and started working and being able to chip into the family and now that we're much older, you know, things are a lot better for all of us as a unit. Um, but it, it's literally took decades. Um, and if it was just my parents, they would have never gone out of it. Yeah. Um, but it was, 
you know, it took a long time for me to just realize, like, it, it just started hitting me. I was like, oh, I was like, that's where a lot of this um, fear and like, you know, poor relationship with abundance mm-hmm. and like, just um, this like, sort of uh, anxiety, this like survival mode type yeah. of anxiety that was constantly dominating my life was coming from, yeah. but I think it is, it's worthwhile. And it, I, it's a journey for people, but I think it's a mixture of like finding out like what, what it was that happened to you. And then at the same time, like letting it go, because mm-hmm. underneath that layer of your emotional history that builds your conditioning is the deeper truths of like understanding impermanence, yeah. like understanding love, understanding like how everything arises and passes away and how important letting go is and all these other sort of much deeper mm-hmm. aspects of wisdom mm-hmm. that can really liberate yeah, it's you. It's kind of like a purge. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why these retreats are so hard for people because yes. like you start meditating and then all of a sudden you're like, yo, where did all this anxiety come from? Like I'm freaking out. I think, and it's like, and oh, that's why yeah. I'm scared because I know. Yeah. I've, I felt that and I know exactly what that's like. And now that I'm older, it is going to be deeper and it is going to be things that more realizations (laughs) and, and all of that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, I should definitely do it, but, um, yeah, but it's better, better, better out than in, you know? So like, that's because like, then you, you, you get out and you're like, Oh my God, you're like, I've never felt like, you feel like you lost a hundred pounds and you didn't lose a single pound. It was just in your mind. My friend is organizing like a trans and non-binary, um, 10 day Vipassana retreat and invited me and I should go. Okay. Um, (laughs) but also one thing I wanted to touch on, because I heard you talking about it, attach or attachment. Um, you mentioned attachment and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of talk about like attachment and like, you know, healing and wellness and all these like concepts yep, yep. of attachment relationships. And then there's like attachment theory and, and all that stuff. And, and then there's like the Buddhist understanding of attachment. Can you, yes. can you talk a little bit about the difference with that? And, and I would really like, you know, I would, I'm really interested to know. Yeah, I think I'm so glad that you pointed out this dichotomy because I think for a lot of people, it's very confusing and they get very upset when like they hear one, but it doesn't include the other Ugh. and they don't under- actually understand the different historical trends that like impacted both. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there is like attachment theory, which is like a Western psychological model mm-hmm. that has become very popular in the modern day. Um And then there's attachment in the sense that a lot of the sort of Eastern traditions, like um, the Vedic and the Buddhist traditions talk about attachment in the sense of craving for things to exist in a very particular way and trying to mold and uh, control reality so that things happen the way that you crave them to be. And I'm specifically using the word craving as opposed to wanting, um, because I think a lot of um, the translations of initial Buddhist, um, you know, understanding understandings of the teaching, they talked about like desire, but the Buddha had a desire to liberate himself. Mm. And that was a total noble desire, like a very valuable goal. Yeah. But then that's very different from craving something, whereas craving has an element of tension in it, meaning that as you're pursuing the thing that you're craving, you're actually like writhing in this tension in your mind and you're so dissatisfied already and all you're focusing in on is on the result 
And then when you don't get the result, you suffer even more and your mind is just like even more tense. And that's very different from having a goal and then focusing on the process and much more, much more calmly working towards what it is that you're aiming for. And then when you don't get what you aim for, you don't lose it. You're just like, okay, I didn't get it, love. Let me go back to the drawing board. Let me re-strategize and see how I can do things better. These are two very different ways of existing, craving versus having a clear, calm goal. Um, so those are very important to, to differentiate. And um, a lot of uh, attachment is born of craving, right? This intensity of like, I really am deeply demanding for things to exist in this particular way. And that causes suffering. Yeah, totally. I, I kind of like think about it in my mind is in terms of from, from the higher self perspective is the having a goal is, you know, working towards a goal and in the process, but knowing that you are ready enough with or without mm-hmm. that goal versus mm-hmm. uh, trying to have a goal from this perspective of lack, believing that you need that in order to be enough. Yeah. Yeah, no. And that's, and it's, that's really like so important. Cause I think a lot of times we put our value in these objectives that we may or may not accomplish, but yeah. you're so already intrinsically valuable. Like there's just, like it's, um, and this is like going back to like these really old scriptures, but the Buddha would often talk to talk about how, like, he'd be like, you won, basically saying like, you won the lottery by becoming a human being. Like, you don't know how hard it is to become a human being. And <laughs> like, you are so fortunate. So you're already like, so lucky, so valuable. So like, use your life well, like, mm-hmm. you know, live a really good mm-hmm. life. Um, but I think, um, like the sorrows and difficulties of the ups and downs of life. Like we forget that very quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I'm reading Viola Davis's book right now, Becoming. Um, and she talks about how she had this, um, she imagined, and she imagined talking to God after she had passed and, and telling God, I'm so grateful for all my blessings and my family. And thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for this. And and then God says back, you never thanked me for making you, you. Oh, wow. And I just, that's, (laughs) I mean, it just, I just, when I, I just started like crying right when I read that because that touches me in such a deep place. And, and I, and I think especially for people. And I don't know if you relate when, when you, when you feel like, you know, your purpose, you know, when you feel Mm -hmm. like you have a a lot of drive, I feel that way. I feel like I have a lot of drive. I, I feel like I know what I'm here for. Yeah. But sometimes the line between drive and, you know, dedication and wanting to do the best, um, versus like knowing that I'm already enough, you know, it, it, it's hard. It's hard when you want to help a lot of people, but then you're not paying, you know, taking care of yourself, you know, all of those things. And I talk about this all the time. Like I intellectually, I know, I know the answer, but do you ever feel, I, I mean, I know that you've had, you have a lot of, you've been doing this for a long, long time. Do you still at times struggle with that type of perspective? like when it comes to your work? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty constant struggle. Um, and there are moments where it's more difficult than others. Like there's a lot of um, just like fear around it where it's like, should I even be saying this? Like, mm. is this really going to help people? Mm. Um, and there are times where it feels like, you know, am I putting things out there that are, that are actually useful? Um, so I'm always kind of like checking in with myself, like, am I just like saying something or like, is this actually going to be valuable to people? Um, and then I get, you know, I get caught up with the same as everybody else where it's like, okay, like, how can I do it better? Like, how can I keep improving? And then getting caught in this cycle of improvement when, when instead I should just like be really intentional about taking moments to just be like, dude, be happy with where you're at. Like, enjoy this moment. Appreciate the fact that you have, um, you know, just like gotten to a level that you didn't even really imagine before mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, putting books out there that people are really enjoying and um, reaching people and having them, you know, give you really good feedback. And, and it's been, um, it's kind of a struggle, honestly, because it's like, think about it, like, we're in these really weird positions where it's like, you and I are individuals, but then we have a lot of people listening to us. Um, and it's just, when you think about the numbers, I mean, I was just talking to um, a few friends just yesterday about this, and it feels like, um, you know, sometimes like I, like I have like two, two million followers, yeah. like that's bigger than most cities in the United States. Yeah. Like it's a number that's inconceivable. Yeah. Like if I really try to think about it, I cannot conceive yeah. of it because the mind is not built that way. The mind is like, I remember reading this from Yuval Noah Harari that we are, um, because of our like evolutionary background, we can only really, you know, know about a hundred to like 160 people because of like how our groups were set up many thousands and thousands of years ago. Mm. So when you expand from that and, you know, we, we get the, to the Facebook era where people had like hundreds and thousands of friends that they've met over their lifetime. And then they like sort of know them, but then now it's like this, like Instagram and like your sort of YouTube era where it's just so much bigger than that. And people are developing these huge followings. It's, um, you know, now it's like something I can't even like, I just surrender to it. And I'm just like, that's what it is. Like, I don't really, you know, I know that I can't conceive of it. So let me just live my life as best as I can. And there are like two main things that I try to hold myself to um, is to like really walk gently, um, to like move about through the world gently, because I don't know what's going on with other people. Yes. Like, I don't know what their stories are. Um, so let me just try to bring forth a lot of compassion. And it's hard because like, that's contrary to my initial conditioning um, from before. So like, I'm constantly trying to like break away from being selfish and from, you know, things like that, that are con that, it, that if I were to pursue selfishness, then that would immediately make me miserable. Um, so instead, let me like try to develop um, this sense of walking gently and being compassionate. And the other thing is like, how much harmony can I bring to the interactions that I'm a part of? Like if I'm interacting with someone, like while still maintaining my boundaries, while still maintaining my goals, at the same time, the third aspect is like, can I bring harmony to the situation, especially if there's tension that's arising or something, or if it's with someone that I really care about, like, let me own my part and let me also see how we can harmonize this. But um, it's weird. It's a, it's a strange 
situation that we're both in where we just have like a lot of people listening to us and yeah it's we're fortunate but at the same time it's very tricky and we have to be very careful with our own personal mental health yeah absolutely i was listening to a interview of jamila i never know her how to say her whole name I, I don't know her stuff very much but i was listening to this interview with her and she talks about when the year came when she, her platform like expanded hugely mm-hmm. and it was a year where she was suicidal because mm-hmm. it was like so difficult to handle the people you know and inevitably that happens where you know the people who are being hateful and the people who are saying you don't know what you're talking about and you know all of this kind of thing and her doing her activism and stuff like that and how hard it is so yeah it is it's it's a constant thing and then and then it really just comes down to all the things that we we were talking about the whole time like you you're saying it really just then <laughs> it's like oh well you just got to go back to just you know being here and being now and 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 channeling into that because that's always the answer yeah yeah and it's also like when the rough like um when people are showing you their roughness online like it's just a sign of like where they need to heal because like to me the way I conceive of it is like someone who deeply deeply loves themselves will actively not try to hurt other people because they know that intrinsic unity that intrinsic quality of like you know to be able to deeply love yourself it opens a door to unconditionally loving all beings like as best as you can in a way that doesn't hurt you in a way that you can still preserve yourself but um, that's that really like eliminates that ability to hurt other people. So when you, you know, when people come around and they just say mean things, it's like, I've, you know, my heart goes out to you because life must be hard yes. to live like that. Yes. And, and also there's only so much that you can do, no, yeah, <laughs> especially no, no. on Instagram. <laughs> you know, sometimes I would always kind of think it was like funny when like I would sit write a meme or something and then somebody would be like, actually blah blah blah, 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 blah. i'm like well you know i couldn't fit all that in the meme (laughs) yeah there's there's actually you can't fit all that in the meme or the caption (laughs) there's actually like restrictions yeah yeah so to encompass like all human thoughts yeah it's so funny it's so funny well awesome well i think it's probably a good time that we answer a listener question if you're down still yeah i'm up for it let's do it okay great let me just pull this question up Okay, it's an email, so I'll I'll read it out. Hi, Bunny. My question is about community and friends. I've been on my higher self journey for a couple of years now, and this journey has led me to awareness around the people in my life and their effect on me. I've gone Mm -hmm. through a process of cutting certain friends out of my life because I didn't feel fully supported by them, and I felt like I wasn't able to grow in the ways that I wanted to. But lately I've been feeling sad about my shrinking social circle. I'm worried that I'm being too nitpicky about the people I surround myself with and perhaps too sensitive. I'm big on communication and often want to communicate issues and friendships in an effort to smooth things out and strengthen the friendship. But I've noticed that some people see this as damaging to a friendship, like it's chipping away at the foundation or something. I can't help but think I'm damaging my friendships by being too critical. How do I continue loving and honoring myself by upholding standards for the people in my life, 
without losing everyone around me. I'm a pretty social person. And I think it makes me sad to think I'm going to end up with little to no friends. If I continue like this, any advice you have on this would be helpful. Thank you so much for everything. This is like a high level question. I I'm really grateful that the person was even able to, um, yeah, the way that they said it is just absolutely beautiful. And I think there's like a couple things that immediately pop into my mind. No one is going to be perfect. You have to realize this as you're moving forward into any connection, whether it's a friendship, a relationship, like, yes, there is, it's fine to have um, a certain degree of standards or even um, want a certain degree of emotional maturity from a person. Like well, oftentimes what I look for in a person, if it's a new friend is a willingness to grow. And that doesn't mean like, like I'm friends with a lot of people who've never meditated before, who never even plan on meditating, you know, or people who like don't actively work on themselves, but there's still this like openness to be like, Oh, you know, like I'm wrong or I'm trying to work on this, or I'm trying to, you know, grow in some mm-hmm. fashion or another. So like that, I find that quality to want to grow mm-hmm. just really attractive. And I'm like, dope, like we can build, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and the other side of it is that I, I think like, like she's, uh, who, I don't know how the person identifies, but um, um, who is the person who wrote, like they, like they're saying it, right? Like you, you don't want to be too nitpicky. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just like kick a lot of people out of your life. And I find that um, I try to be a lot more organic about the relationships in my life where I understand that like, yeah, I do have my crew of like meditation friends who meditate in the same tradition and like really understand like where, where I'm at and we share the same struggles. But then I have like my group of friends from Wesleyan University where I went to college and even a lot of my friends who I used to party really hard with, like I'll, I'm still friends with them and I'll still meet up and hang out. But, um, but they they like, you know, encapsulate really different aspects of myself and I'm not demanding the same thing from every friend group. Mm-hmm. And I'm also not demanding the same type of depth, mm-hmm. you know, like some friend groups, like it's a lot lighter and, you know, we're, we're um, just having fun together and laughing and others, it'll be super deep and like super vulnerable. So mm-hmm. like allowing that dynamism and different types of friends to exist is like totally fine. And, but I think like accountability and um, really checking in, like a lot of that is, um, happens with like people who are really close to you. Like if you're building an intimate relationship or with like your really old best friend, like I have one best friend that we we've been friends since fourth grade and we've known each other for like, like literally decades now. And with him, it's like the realness, you know, like he gives it to me a hundred, I give it to him a hundred and to the point where it's like raw, like, you know, I'll take truths from him that I, that other people like, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just so real with that, with him. And, um, but I'm not going to expect that from like someone that I just met six months ago. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah it, it is different. And I guess I totally agree with everything that you're saying. And that was exactly what my instinct was reading the question. And I, and I also just want to say like, we, we, as people who are on a path towards self-awareness and healing, I think sometimes we can think we know what we need, <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, 
lessons come in all kinds of packages. Um, and you can learn from everybody. And so I would just be mindful of that because sometimes you think that you're the one that's aware in this certain, maybe you are in this certain area of your emotional relationship with that person, but they're also in your life to teach you something as well. And whether that's compassion or whether it's how you talk to them about the things that are bothering you, um, offering, asking them if there's anything that you're doing that is also make that, that would, or anything you could do that could make them feel more seen, you know? So there's a lot of, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of different ways to, a lot of different perspectives you could have on the value this person is bringing to your life. And I think there's a lot of rhetoric out there in like social media wellness, where it's like that person's toxic. And if they're not meeting my needs, then drop them, you know, or like, you know, there's all this, like the other people need to be accountable because I'm valid. And it's like, yeah, well, relationships go both ways. And there isn't a lot of people talking about, you know, because that doesn't really shoot up in the algorithm because nobody really wants to hear that. People want to hear that they deserve better, but they don't necessarily want to hear that they need to uh, (laughs) be better with other people too. And, and, and the sooner you realize that, like the sooner you realize that you can make a mistake, that you can like rub somebody the wrong way. I have a best friend and we've also collaborated on a long project together. And oh man, like there were so many times during that collaboration where I was like, I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if this is, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I can do yeah. a collab. I don't know if we can do any of it anymore. I was like, I might be done. You know what I mean? And then, and then I realized like, just, just maybe like a couple weeks later after the, the emotion has passed after we've had some talks, I realized, oh my gosh, thank goodness. I stuck with that because that was what that really was about. The, what it really was about was like, how, how am I put, I'm putting my, I'm putting like my project or like my work ahead of this friendship, you know? So there's a lot of like ego checking that has to go on and, and who that person looks represents for you in your life. And, and also, you know, you're on your path and not, and, and remember that nothing can get in the way of that too. So yeah, but yes, boundaries with certain types of friends, not everybody is created equal in that sense. And yeah, you got this. Okay, great. Um, Diego, I do ask their guests one question before we before we end the uh, talk. And that is, what are you working on unlearning right now? Oh, I love that. Um, let me think real quick. Um, oh, yeah. What I'm working on unlearning is limits. Like I, I remember there, was ta- there were times where I would think to myself, like, I can only do so much. And um, recently I've made a few friends who are just like doing these like huge projects and they're doing like multiple huge projects. And I am so impressed. And I was like, man, I was like, I think I can actually do more. Like I had written the story in my mind that like, 
you know, I can only do so much. Like I need to just focus on writing. Um, and I love writing so much. It's been, you know, I, I, I really enjoy it and find it fun. Um, but I've been kind of just like expanding my idea of like what my capacity is. Cause I've also felt this, um, sort of urge to like, you know, in my thirties, like I want to get a lot done. Um, and I don't really even know what that looks like, but I just want to do a lot. And especially if anything like clicks intuitively, like, let me go try to get it done. And, um, I definitely want to balance that and not like overstretch myself, but I feel like I have room to, to do more. Um, so that's actively what I've been trying to learn is like, you know, I can, I can do more. I love that. I can't yeah. wait <laughs> <laughs> for whatever form that takes. It's going to be awesome. I bet. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're such a blessing to this world and I've had such a wonderful time talking. Likewise, thank you so much for what you're doing. And it's like, it's honestly an honor to be sharing the space with you. Thank you. Bye. See you next time. Ciao. Exo Higher Self is recorded in Brooklyn, New York, hosted by me, Bunny Michael, produced by Kara Gilvey, with original music and sound mixing by Michael Bihari.